Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Pathway Church Podcast. We are so glad you're with us. We're a Bible-based church from Ontario, Canada, and together we're on a mission to reach people far from Christ and see them become devoted followers of Him. In today's podcast, we find ourselves in Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Peter and John are going about their daily routine when suddenly they're stopped in their tracks. And through the power of the risen Christ, they bring healing to a man who is born lame. In this message, Pastor Nate will examine seven different mini-messages that we hope will stir our faith for God to do the miraculous in and through us. With that, let's turn over to Pastor Nate with part six of his act series with seven lame sermons. Good morning, everybody. It's a great day. Uh, it's beautiful, sunny outside, and so great to see a room full of people. I know we have lots watching at home on our live stream, so we welcome you. Uh, if you haven't been with us, we're in a message series in which we're, we're kind of walking verse by verse through the book of Acts, which is a, it's quite a lengthy book, and we won't get through it all, but we'll see how far we can get between now and Easter. Uh, we are in, I think, part six, and we're going to be looking at the first few verses of chapter three today. Just to give a little context, if you're if you're visiting with us or you haven't been uh, tuning in, uh, basically at the beginning of the book of Acts, Jesus is with his disciples, and uh, and he's standing on the mountain, and he tells them to wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit, and then he ascends into heaven. And so the, the disciples and the apostles and the early church, they gather in an upper room in Jerusalem, and there they're waiting. Uh, they're waiting for the Holy Spirit, and while they're waiting, they replace Judas, who betrayed Jesus and, and hung himself. And so they've got the, the, the band of 12 together again, and, and they continue to wait, and then the Holy Spirit descends. And they're speaking in tongues and these signs and wonders and the huge crowd gathers. Peter preaches his very first sermon. Uh, Todd shared all about that and he told them about Jesus that, you know, you crucified Jesus and, and we expect the people are going to be offended and run away. But instead they lean in and God by his spirit draws people and thousands are added to the church. And then at the end of chapter two, we see the early church is growing. There's every day there's new people being added to the church. Signs and wonders are being done by the apostles and all kinds of incredible things are doing. People are growing in generosity and faith. So really, really cool scene. Uh, What Luke doesn't tell us is what these signs and wonders are that the disciples are doing. Except now as we enter into chapter three, we're going to see one example of the kinds of things that were going on in the early church. And we're going to see in just a moment, uh, Peter and John they're actually, uh, they're going to heal a man who's been lame since birth. And, and I think maybe I'll just, I'll read the text. Let me just read it through for you. And, and then we'll just, and then we'll, and then I'll set the stage and we'll, we'll kind of start, start walking through it together. So let me just turn to Acts chapter three. If you've got a Bible, you can follow along with me, but I'm just going to read these 10 to 12 verses and then, and then we'll dive right into it. Uh, here's what it says in Luke chapter three, beginning in verse one. Now, Peter and John, they're going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they lay daily at the gate of the temple that is called Beautiful Gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. He's asking for a donation. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold. But what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who had sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they filled with wonder and amazement. 
they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Powerful, right? Let's pray and we'll dive into it. Father, today as we, uh, as we open up your, your word and as we look at the story of this lame man and, and your healing of his body, I pray, Father, that you would speak to each of us, that you by your spirit would touch us and lead us into truth as we study this together and we surrender this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. As I think about this particular text, I've been in church a long time, like a long time, like 40 years, a long time. Kind of like the guy in the story, actually. Um, and depending on the church that you attended and the way that they perceive the scriptures, their theology, um, the sermon that would be preached on this text would vary greatly. Let me give you an example. If you grew up in a church, and I attended some of these churches growing up, where they don't believe in healing, healing's not for today anymore, like that's just a thing of the past, that was something God did then but doesn't do now. If that was the frame, then they would have, if a preacher was preaching this sermon, here's what they would say. It wasn't Peter and John that healed him, it was Jesus that healed him. And that would be right, because Peter and John are going to say, it wasn't us. And then they would say, look at what happened, because he was healed, God got all the glory, and the mission of the church was moved forward, and to that I would agree. If you were to attend another church growing up, um, and I attended some of these churches where they believed in healing and the power of, and the gifts of God and all of these things, that those are still in operation. They would, they would preach the sermon a little differently. They might say something like, hey, if you're broken, if you need healing, Jesus will heal you. So they will put you, you could become the person who is lame and who's in need and God wants to heal you, save you, deliver you today. And that, that would also be true, wouldn't it? And then they might take it a step further and say, and you could be like Peter and John and carry healing to those around you. Words of encouragement, physical healing, emotional healing, healing to those around you and to the world. And so one of those messages would be hyper-focused on Jesus and his, he's the one who heals and saves, which is true. And another would focus on you, that you can be healed and that you can help heal others. And today I want to try to walk the line right in between the two. It's kind of my mojo. <laughs> it's kind of what I like to do. And as I, as I read through this text this week and, and just prayed and thought and looked at it, honestly, what, I, what normally happens for me when I'm preparing a message is something like this. I'll look at the text and I'll read the text and I'll read, you know, uh, all kinds of different uh, things about the text. And then I just kind of stew on it for a little while. And often there's a few things that, that sort of leap from the page. And I'm like, okay, there, that's a potential sermon. That's a potential sermon or a way that we could go about this. And then I'll usually kind of digest it all for you and kind of like pull it all to one big theme and a few points and then I present it to you kind of a finished work. Today you're going to get to kind of, you'll get a glimpse into the mind of Nathan because I haven't digested it all and as I went through the text I actually found 10 sermons and I thought which one and I thought I'll give you seven. Okay, um, so before I give you my seven sermons, let me, just, let me just answer or at least attempt to answer one question that I think is really important before we dive in, and I'll put it up here. And the question is this, is healing for today? Now, I don't know what your background is. I don't know what your experience is with this. Um, and again, there's people from all different extremes. Uh, what I find, let me just give you a quick context. What I find when I open up the scriptures is that God healed and did miracles in the Old Testament before Jesus. Jesus shows up, he heals people, he does miracles. And then after Jesus ascends into heaven, his disciples heal people, do miracles. And then after the disciples go, those that were following the disciples healed people and did miracles, signs and wonders. So in my estimation, there's no reason to believe that God has changed at all. 
Now that leads us into all kinds of questions about who gets healed and why we don't all get healed and all of those things. That's a topic for another day. But I believe that God is the same yesterday, today, forever. And I believe that even if you don't believe in healing, can I tell you something? The Bible teaches really clearly that one day when you get to heaven, there will be no more pain. Cancer will not exist. Lameness will not exist. Mental health will not be an issue. It's an issue now. But it won't be an issue then. We live in a broken, fallen world where we struggle with all of these things. But we're headed to a destination where everything is right. And that's good news. So regardless of what you believe, we're going to end up healed. Okay, that's really important. But then there is always an opportunity for us to experience some of heaven now. Do you get what I'm saying? Jesus taught his disciples to pray in this way. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So if in heaven we're all going to be well, and if heaven we're all going to have peace, and in heaven we're all going to be, have all our faculty, there's opportunity for us to experience heaven now. And honestly, not all of us get to experience heaven, this side of heaven. But it doesn't mean we can't ask for it, desire it, and pray for it. Are you with me? So can we just be open to that? So as we enter in, I've got seven mini sermons. I'm going to try to get through them all. The title of my overall message is Seven Lame Sermons. I thought that was clever since they're all about a lame man. So we'll start with verse one. Let's, let's dive into it today. Verse one. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour context. Previous chapter tells us Peter and John, the apostles and the early church were gathering in the temple daily to pray. So what they're doing here is they're actually doing something they did every day. This was what we call a discipline every day. They're going to the temple and every day they're praying together. The title of my, my first lame sermon is this. Divine interruption. Because what I want you to understand is, is that Peter and John every day were walking through the same gate, past the same lame man. Because I don't know if you know anything about people who who don't have a home, people who are living on the streets, they often have their spot. This has always been true. You drive around the city, you'll see the same person on the same corner. They, They have spots and they know who each other's spots are. This guy had such a terrible situation that he got prime real estate. He's at the largest, most heavily trafficked gate in the city, and it's his spot, which means that if Peter and John were going there daily with the church, thousands of Christians were walking past this lame man every single day. Think about that. This day, though, is going to be different. This day is going to be a divine interruption. Um, I believe that God will divinely interrupt the course of our regular activities. Do you believe that? There have been times in my life where I'm going about my business, I'm doing my family thing, I'm taking my kids to sports, I'm shoveling my driveway, and, and I will sense, and I'm sure some of you have experienced this, something inside your heart goes, help that person, call that person, something. And it's the Holy Spirit leading and guide us, and it's out of the ordinary. And he will divinely interrupt the course of our regular actions, and if we will listen, and if we will heed, God will work. And on this occasion, for whatever reason, John and Peter, they're walking to the temple just like they had done every single day. By the way, good things happen when you're on your way to church. I'll just throw that out there. That would be a point in my sermon. Okay? So they're on their way to church. They're on their way to pray with the believers. And God's like, over here. And something happens on this day. Their attention is drawn to this man. And at this point in the sermon, the keyboard would come in nicely underneath. and, um, And I would begin to ask questions like, are we listening for God's leading? Are we listening 
for his voice? Are we ready to act when he interrupts the course? Sometimes we're so busy doing our stuff. It's like, I don't have time. And there have been times in my life when I have sensed God leading me to do something and I've done it. And it seemed like nothing happened. And there have been other times when I've sensed God leading me to do something and I went, ah, no, that's just me. And I left it alone and I regretted it. Anybody else? Are we willing to listen? Are we willing to let the Spirit of God lead us? It's a really, really important question. Are we willing to let him interrupt our regularly scheduled program? That's lame sermon number one, you know, rough. Verse number two continues, says this, A man lame from birth who is being carried, whom they lay daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. Let's, let's frame this and think about it. He's lame from birth. Uh, we'll go forward one slide. Uh, verse In chapter 4, it actually tells us the man of whom the sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. This guy was born without the use of his legs and for 40 years had to be carried by someone else, had to be a burden on his family, a burden on... He couldn't, he couldn't contribute in so many ways because of his lameness. And if we go back to the text, we find that he is, he is laying at the gate called Beautiful. And isn't it interesting, the city of Jerusalem had a lot of gates, and a lot of them were adorned with gold and silver and really nice architecture. But the beautiful gate was larger and more beautifully adorned than the rest, because the beautiful gate actually led into the court of the Gentiles, where the temple was. So this was a huge gate, beautifully adorned with brass, and people would come in to the temple through this gate, literally. And here's something that I've thought about a lot. Jesus, during his three and a half years of ministry regularly visited the temple. And it makes me wonder, did Jesus walk by this layman? Forty years, he might have been laying there. Jesus and the disciples marched right past, potentially. And it makes me wonder, did Jesus see him? Jesus didn't heal everybody, by the way. And and it makes me wonder, did Jesus see him? And I think the answer is yes, because here in Acts chapter 3, Jesus is going to heal him. And it reminds me, and I guess uh, this would be the title of of my second sermon, um, Your Moment is Coming. We don't know what moment God is going to move on our behalf. And so many people like this layman could very easily look at their life, look at their situation, look at their marriage, look at their kids, look at their financial situation and go, there is no hope, nothing will ever change. Do you not think this guy would have thought that? This is my life, it will never change. And yet, in a moment, God is going to intervene And things are going to change drastically. And I think sometimes it's so easy for us to slip into despair and hopelessness, thinking that whatever situation we face, it will never change. There are people maybe came into church today watching online, and I'm telling you, you come to church and you you feel like everything is so dark and everything is so a mess and so hopeless, and everyone at church is so happy. And they got their coffee and they're singing praises to Jesus and they got it all figured out. And it's you're like the lame man sitting under a beautiful gate. Wondering if there's anything for you. And I'm here to tell you there is. Because we have a God who loves you. And a God who wants to move on your behalf. And you just need to know that your moment is coming. And don't lose hope. Is this helping anybody? That's what I want for you today. And so let's continue. Let's continue into verse 3. We're just kind of walking through. This is my brain as I'm reading the text. This is where my brain's going. So you're getting to see it on display. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple. He asked to receive alms. He's got his can out. Or whatever he had. A basket. Alms, alms for a lame man who can't work. Help me feed my body, my family, whatever his situation was. And he's asking to receive 
money. And of course, you already know what's going to happen. Peter and John are like, we don't have any money. Super disappointing. The title of this third um, lame sermon is as follows. More than you could ask or imagine. This is so interesting because this guy's asking for money. Who thinks money's helpful? Show hands. Okay, about half of you. <laughs> the rest just send it my way, you know. Uh, <laughs> money is a really helpful thing. Money can solve a lot of problems, but guess what? Money can't solve all your problems. And money is limited in its scope. And what's so interesting is this guy's asking for money because he thinks that money is what he needs. And God has something more than he could ask or imagine. God has something that he actually needs, but he doesn't even think he can ask for. And God wants to give him more than money. He wants to heal his body and give him a new life and a new hope. And it's like, I wonder sometimes, I wonder sometimes if, if we fail to ask God for the right things. I've asked God for money. God, would you get money for our ministry? And someone recently told me, I was like, you don't, don't pray for money. Pray for millionaires. <laughs> right? Or we say, oh, God, would you, would you fix my spouse? And God's like, actually, no. Instead of changing your spouse's attitude, I'm going to transform your heart. And it's going to make a radical difference, not only on your marriage, but on your family and your in-laws and everything. So God, God often wants to do something way beyond. But we, he is the God who does immeasurably more than we could ask or think. That's who God is. And I think sometimes our prayers are too small. I think sometimes we just ask for the thing we think we need rather than the thing we actually need. But God wants to do more. Instead of just a transaction, he wants to transform. So here's a question. What are you asking him for? The keyboard comes in underneath. Here's the, here's the moment where we apply it to right? Like, what are you asking him for? Are you asking him for the right thing? Let's move on to mini sermon number four. When Peter... <laughs> directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. Let me tell you something. If there's somebody in need, do you make eye contact with them? Usually not. Like, unless you're planning to stop and help, you don't look like, it's like, mm, you keep, keep your eyes forward. Because the moment you make eye contact with somebody, they look at you and it's on. Like, they're like, oh, got someone. They, they're going to help me, right? And so what's interesting about this is Peter and John, who have been divinely interrupted in this moment, turn and look at this guy and they take note and they stare right at him. It's like, yeah, we're, yes. And this guy's getting excited. Like they're going to give me. So they say, look at us. And they go on and it says he fixed his attention on them expecting to receive something from them. Can I tell you something? This little mini sermon would be entitled the power of expectation. Expectation is powerful. There have been days where I've come home from work and I just had a rough day and I'll just stand there and I'll just go like this. And if I wait there long enough, my lovely wife will just come up and she's not the most, like, she's not like, uh, like hug, 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 but she's just like come over and just leans in and gives me a hug. There's something about expectation when a little child looks up at you and goes, that's why we raise our hands in worship. It's like, God, we are expecting something from you. Hey, we love you. You're our dad. Like, hey, hey, we're right here. It's a good idea. There's something powerful about expectation. It's interesting when you follow the ministry of Jesus that when he went places and people were expecting him to do stuff, guess what he did? He did stuff. And when he went and they were like, ah, you can't do anything. He's like, fine. <laughs> expectation. It, it does something. I, I would say the power of expectation. You could also say the power of hunger. Do you know when you have somebody hungry in your house and you're cooking up something in the kitchen, guess what? They all end up in the kitchen. 
What you doing? Smells good. Can I have something? Like hungry people gravitate towards food, but people who aren't hungry, guess what? They're like, ah, whatever. I'm watching TV. Yeah, yeah. I don't care if it's lasagna. Like I'm fine. I'm satisfied. And I wonder sometimes when we come to church, do we come with expectation? Years ago, I went down to the Brownsville Revival in Pensacola and all these people were gathered and people were getting saved. And I was like, God is moving. You know what I found when I went there? Hungry people. Hungry, and this is happening in Asbury. I don't know if it's still going, but hungry people flying from all over the world to meet God. Would you spend a thousand dollars to get on a plane to fly to a church service to worship with a bunch of strangers because you're hungry for God? Because you get a bunch of those people in the same room, I guarantee you something's going to happen. Like, I don't know what would happen this morning if we all came that hungry. Like, I could be up here, the worst preacher in the world, just read a verse, and people are like, okay, I'll give my life to Jesus. Like, just surrender. Why? Because you came ready. You came with expectation. And there's something powerful. When we come to God with a heart that is hungry for Him, when we come with expectation, God moves and He fills those voids. And guess what Jesus said? He said, those who hunger and thirst will be filled. He will fill. And so this guy, even though he's expecting the wrong thing, he's asking for the wrong thing, doesn't even matter. I wonder sometimes if we shouldn't just ask God. Even if we ask for the wrong thing, we're still on the right train. Jesus said, you have not because you what? Yeah. So maybe it would be better to ask for the wrong thing than not to ask at all. Because we have a God who loves to fill needs and feed the hungry. So the power of expectation is so, so important. Let's, let's move on. I'm, I'm making my mini sermons too sermonish. Uh, verse 6. Peter said, I have no silver and gold. But what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Why, rise up and walk. This, this next message, I would uh, maybe entitle, What I Do Have. And I want to stop for just a second and just remind you that I, I really do believe that all of us have something to give. You go, Pastor, I don't have any money. Guess what? Peter and John didn't either. <laughs> if you have Jesus, you've got enough, for starters. If you have people who love you and support you, you're doing pretty well. If you have peace, if you have some free time, if you have whatever you have, you have something to contribute. Encouraging words, a helpful hand. And I think sometimes we go, I don't have anything to give. And God's like, I will take whatever. A few loaves, a few fish, fine, I'll use it. Whatever you got, bring it to him and share it with the world. So what I do have, Peter and John like, here's what I have. And as I said, you have something to give. So the next slide. But I want to also challenge you that, yes, you have something to give, and you should be asking the question, what do I have to share with others? But here's another idea that's worth exploring. You can't give what you don't have. Have you noticed this? If you say, I really want to be generous financially, but you don't have money, you can't. You don't have it, right? Peter and John are like, we don't have that. So if you want to be more generous financially, you have to get your finances in order. If you want to volunteer time and help others, then you have to reorganize your schedule But even more important than that, if we want to share the most important gift with the world, which is Jesus, guess what? We can't give to others what we don't have. The only reason why Peter and John had something to give, because they had spent time with Jesus. And if there's nothing else I can encourage you to do when you leave this place, is to spend time with Jesus. To read his word. To talk to him. To get to know him. Because as you do, you'll have something to give to others. And it is the best thing that we can give to anybody in this world. So what do you have to give? Spend time with Jesus. Get all those things in order so that you can share with others. Verse 7, and he took him by the hand. But this is really specific, by the way. Luke, who's our author, was actually a physician in the first century. Right? Which 
I don't, I don't know what a physician entailed, certainly not what a physician would do today, but they were highly educated, very literate, very, very, very detailed. And, and some of the actual wording in the original Greek language is so specific. He's like the only guy in the New Testament that uses some of these words. But I think this is so specific. He took him by the right hand. So you have a guy who has never walked a day in his life. And it doesn't say that Peter and John each grabbed him by a shoulder and lifted him up. Because that's what you would have to do with a grown man who can't walk. But he took him by the right hand. So this is a, I want you to understand, this is a cooperative effort. And one of the things I've noticed, and I guess let me give you my title, uh, title for this little mini sermon is Take a Step. Many times when God does miracles in the Old and New Testament, it follows a similar pattern. God does the healing. That's always, that's kind of a given. But there's always a cooperative effort or most often a cooperative effort. It's like Moses, raise your rod and then I'll open the sea. Hey, blind guy, I'm going to put mud in your eyes and you go and wash it off in the pool. When you do that, I'm going to heal you, but I want you to do is to, hey, Naaman, I want you to go and I want you to wash in the dirty river seven times and then you're going to be healed. Naaman's like, well, what's the point of that? It's like, it, the point is you got to take a step. And this is always what happens. Hey, take the loaves and fishes. I'm going to pray for them. Start handing them out. It's like, well, this isn't enough for thousands of people. It's like, just start handing them out. And there's this awkward moment. As you might imagine, Peter's probably thinking as he's reaching down, because I'm, is this going to work? Because <laughs> if this doesn't, John, get ready to catch him. No, no. I mean, think about it. Like, there's, there's a huge step of faith, both on Peter's part and on the man who's being healed. And he reaches down and takes this guy's arm and is helping him up. And this guy had to move his legs and, and do something. And I think so often God wants to do things in our lives, but we will not move and take a step. It shocks me sometimes. God, put something on your heart. Like, just help that person. Just get baptized. Just join a small group. Just do something that exercises faith. It's like, well, I'm not sure. I'm not ready. Uh, take a step. God always says, I'm going to do this thing, but I want you to take one step my way as an act of faith. So as you study the Bible, look for this. You're going to see it. And it's true. It's true in your life and in mine as well. Acts uh, 3, verse 8. Go to the next verse. And leaping up. This guy, something happens. Uh, the actual original text actually, it seems to indicate that like his joints, his sinews, it's all snapped into place. Like Luke uses this medical terminology that like, boom, in an instant, this like this happens and he leaps up and he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them walking, leaping and praising God. Now my brain, I'm picturing a baby deer. You ever seen a baby deer? This guy's never walked a day in his life, right? He didn't get to like push the stroller, right? Like he, he's just like, bam, strength in his legs. He's, <laughs> woo. He, this is what I'm imagining in my brain. He's walking and leaping and he's praising God. And it says in the next verse, we'll read a few verses. It says, and all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate. Because he was in such a public place for so long, everybody knew who this guy was. They recognized his face. They recognized his voice. And now they see him running around and go, how could this be? And it continues and says, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. And then it goes on to say, uh, while he clung to Peter and John, all the people utterly astounded. Wouldn't you be? This was a significant miracle that affirmed 
the resurrection power of Jesus. Next week, we're going to see Peter's going to like preach a whole sermon. He's like, this is Jesus. This is the power of the resurrected Jesus at work. Trust in Jesus. It's all going to point. But they're astounded. And they ran together to the portico called Solomon. Another crowd is gathering. And we'll finish here in verse 12. And then Peter saw it, and he addressed the people, men of Israel. Why do you wonder at this, and why do you stare at us? I love this. Peter and John are like, yeah, we just, we just brought healing to this guy. But they're like, why are you looking at us? As if we did something. I love this. And this would be my final uh, sermonette, okay? It's not about us. And, and I just wonder sometimes how, how much we make our faith and what God does or doesn't do, whether we're healed or not healed, we make it about us. And, and Peter's like, no, you don't understand. This is about him. This is about his glory. This is about his power. And, and notice what he says. We'll go back to the text and just add the rest. He says, as though... By our own power or piety, we have made him walk. When I talk to people and they go, God could never use me because I'm not pious enough. It's like, you don't understand. God doesn't use you because you're perfect enough. He'll use you because he's perfect enough. God could never forgive me. Listen, God can forgive you. Because he is the one who forgives sins. And it's like, man, I don't have the power. I don't have the ability. Moses is like, God, you can't use me. I stutter. God's like, I'll use you anyway. It's not our power. It's not our piety. It's him. Sometimes our belief that it's about us actually gets in the way of God working in and through us. It's not about us. And today is, we're going to close our service by sharing in communion. If you didn't grab one of these cups and you want to participate, they're, they're at the back on a little table. You can grab one now, but we're going to share in the Lord's Supper. And I'm going to read, um, I'm going to read from Matthew. No, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And I want to read the words of Paul as he instructs the early church on communion. And, you know, there's a lot of things that can be said about this, the imagery and the celebration of this, the cup and the bread. But if there's one thing that this should remind us all about is that it's not about us. God doesn't heal us because we're good enough. He heals us because he's good enough. He doesn't save us because we've somehow recompensed for our sins, but because Jesus paid the price for our sins. We're not adopted into his family because we're lovely and have such a wonderful personality. We're invited to become sons and daughters of God because he is our father and he has made us and he has loved us and he's made a way for us to be with him. As we take this cup and this juice, um, this cup and the cracker, that we should be reminded this is not about us. It's about what he did. It's about how we can partner with him when we leave this place. And um, if you've never trusted in Jesus, you can take this cup, but I would encourage you to just stop and go, what am I trusting in? If you're trusting in Jesus, this is for you. You don't have to have your life together to drink this cup because none of us have our lives together. You don't have to be perfected in your character, but you need to trust in him because what you're saying when you drink this cup is this is about you and what you did, not about me and what I've done. And I'm trusting you and what you did to help me go out and live a different kind of life. That's what we're doing when we take this cup. And so to wrap up my, my seven lame sermons, I'll just uh, recap a couple of the ideas. I hope that you leave here today probably going, what was that all about again? I don't know. But I hope as you leave this place today, you will be expecting him to speak. 
that you'd be expecting God to lead you, to interrupt you, that you would be expecting that God would do in your life and through your life more than you could ever ask or imagine, and that you would respond when he speaks in faith to take that step to move forward with him. And as we do that, we give him all the glory. So let's open up this this, uh, cup, if you haven't already, and we'll take the bread. And in the words of Paul, he says, For I received from the Lord what I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And let's take our bread together. When he had given thanks, he broke it. He said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread together. Scriptures tell us that his body was broken with the whips, beaten, so that we could have healing. That our bodies could be healed, that our spirits and hearts could be healed, and that our sins would be forgiven. He continues by saying this, in the same way he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. It's not about us, it's about what he did for us. Let's take this and drink it together. Heavenly Father, in this moment, we, as a group in this room and online today, we acknowledge our need and dependence for you. And as much as we want to be Peter and John bringing healing to the world, before we can do anything for you, we must receive you. We start our journey, a lame man in need of healing. And God, as you lift us up, you send us out to share your love, your hope, your peace, your healing with the world around us. And so God, today we receive what you've done. We get our eyes off of us, our situation, and we look to you and we ask God that you would work in us and through us. And we're confident, Lord, that you will do more than we could ever ask or imagine. And we pray this in Jesus name. And everybody said, amen. Hey, that's it from us. Thank you so much for joining. Please stay connected with us. Be sure to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. That's Pathway Church PTBO. Hey, God is at work in this world, and we feel so blessed that we get to be a part of what he is doing. Have a great day wherever you're at, and we hope to see you soon.